Now, I'm sure that most of you have probably seen Fiddler on the Roof. And one of the main characters is Ted Young. Uh, he had an arranged marriage with his wife, Golda. And one day he asked her, he said, Golda, do you love me? And she said, what kind of question is that? I've been with you for 25 years. I've cooked your meals. I've done your laundry. I've given you children. I've slept in your bed. Why do you ask that? And as the conversation goes on, he said, but Golda, do you love me? And she says, well, I suppose I do. And he said, well, I suppose I love you too. <laughs> Something like that conversation was going on here with Peter. Peter had denied Jesus three times. And then after the resurrection, he appeared a number of times, and one of those was on the seashore, and got together, and they had a fish fry. And afterwards, he gathered Peter and called him aside, and he asked these questions. Three times, he said, Peter, do you love me? Probably, no coincidence, that Peter had denied him three times as well. Finally, the last time, he said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that Jesus had asked the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. What a great question that is. Do you love Jesus? I think it's one that every one of us as believers needs to ask ourselves. And I'm going to suggest some ways that can demonstrate that we love him. First of all, we love him by loving him most. One occasion, there was one of the experts in the law, the Pharisees, and he asked Jesus a question to try And he said, what is the greatest of the commandments? Jesus said without hesitation, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then he gave a second one, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That means you love him above anything else. Even the very important things in your life. Uh, remember on one occasion Jesus was talking about family, mother and father and brothers and sisters. And he said you must hate them and love them. Now, in the Bible, hating someone like this, in contrast, doesn't actually mean that you have to hate your family. What it means is that you have to love God more. Loving God more. I think uh, that means I do several things for us. It means that uh, you love God the Lord and you love your family. All of us love our families, our spouses, our children. We imagine a greater love than that. But we're to have a love greater than that, and that is the love for God Himself. Probably the greatest example of that is found with Abraham. Abraham had waited all his life to have a son. He was 100 years old when Isaac was born, and the child grew up, and uh, the Lord said to him one day, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, and sacrifice him to me. Now many times, Abraham tried to negotiate with God, but this time, apparently he did not. And so, Abraham took the son that he loved, 
for the mountain and he built an altar and he was ready to sacrifice his son when a messenger of God said, hold on. Now, we sometimes picture God holding back his hand. That's not actually what the Bible says. All of you sign language, the sign for Abraham is that holding back the hand. And but at that moment there was a rustling in the bushes and there was a ram. And God provided a substitute for Isaac. And the Bible tells us that God did not want human sacrifice. This was a test to see how much Abraham loved him. And he proved that Abraham loved God more even than his own son. Loving God more than you love your family. Loving God more than you love material things. You know, we as most of us are brainos, and we live pretty well here. And money and prosperity become important to us. The Bible talks a lot about money. It talks about tithing in the Old Testament, but Jesus also talked about tithing. He said. You should do that. You should tithe 10% of what you have belongs to God. But in addition to that, the, the tithing is only a portion of what God requires. God actually owns the whole world. The Bible says uh, this world belongs to God. Everything in it belongs to Him already. And there was only one occasion in the Bible where a person was asked to give up everything. One day a rich young ruler came before Jesus and he said, Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, You know the commandments, and he listed seven of them. And the guy said, Well, I've been doing that since I was a boy. So Jesus said to him, There's only one thing that you lack to have that eternal life. Go and sell everything that you have, give to the poor, and come and follow me. The Bible says that he was very rich. He wanted eternal life that But he turned and he walked away sadly because he was not prepared to do everything to follow the Lord. Jesus said to be his followers, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. And so God demands that you love him above everything else that you have. Jesus talked about the parable of the banquet. He said these people were invited to the banquet, and one said, Well, you know, I've got a plant of five million oxen I need to try out. Somebody else had a field that needed to be plowed. Somebody else had a new wife. But none of them were willing to follow because they had something else to do. God demands that we be first. We love Him by hearts, souls, and minds. And then, secondly, we prove our love for Him, not only by loving God, but also by loving our neighbors. Now, I've got some neighbors. Uh, Lynn there is one of them. She's one of my dearest neighbors. I have to say that because she can beat me up. And, you know, I, I like the neighbors behind my bedroom, the neighbors in front of the neighbors on the side. It's great to have all these neighbors. But one day, Jesus, when he was talking to the, the lawyer, uh, he, he said that you must love your neighbor as yourself. And the disciples said, well, who is my neighbor? And so he explained about their story. He said there was a man. He was walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. And on the way, he was 
captured and beaten up by some thieves and left there on the side of the road. And then the religious leaders came by. They saw him and they passed to the other side. Maybe they were afraid of being robbed themselves and that was a common tactic. Maybe they just didn't want to bother with it. There was a priest and Levites. Uh, there was a Presbyterian minister and a Methodist preacher. They all passed on the other side. But then came a Samaritan. The Samaritans were despised by the Jews and vice versa because they were half Jews. They, they had uh, married the people of the land, so they were not, not pure men. And they didn't believe exactly the same as the Jews did. So they wanted nothing to do with each other. But the Samaritan went down and he put oil and wine on the man's injuries, put him on his donkey, carried him to Jericho. And there he paid the innkeeper to take care of him. He said, I'm going away, but when I come back, and if there's anything extra, I'll give that as well. So Jesus said, Which one of these? The neighbor. And he said, Well, the one that came to help. Your neighbor is not just your next door neighbor. It is anybody that you see that has a need. And it's our job as believers to take care of people spiritually, emotionally, educationally. Whatever we need, it is our job because we love them to take care of them. Now, I'm grateful in our church. We have uh, a giving church, ministries such as I've never seen before. And we've kind of adopted uh, Matthew 25 35 as our verse that we follow. And we try to do all of these things. For there, in talking about the last day, Jesus talks about the separation of the sheep and the goats. And he says, first of all, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. And you probably do that. I was talking to Rick this last week. He said, we actually feed from our kitchen over 5,000 people every month. And then we have a host of children that we also meet in addition to that before they go to school. Some of the villages to, uh, to the side of us. And we give out these dispensers, and Gary and Marcy are in charge of that. And they put together these bags of groceries and all the supplies, and they give them to families every month. You see people that are hungry around us and try to feed them. And Jesus said, I was thirsty, and he gave me something to drink. And one of the projects that we've been involved in is providing clean water, because we know that there are kids in some of the villages, and they're dying because the water has been dumped in portion. The wells have been dumped very close to the lake, and if they heat up all those chemicals over there, and the kids die of kidney disease, partly as a result of that. So we, we were working on a water purification project, and lo and behold, the government saw what we were doing. They decided to build another well a mile away. Well, we're still going to test that to make sure that the water is clean. I was thirsty. I gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Most of you know, I think, that uh, there are migrants in Guadalajara. And they come there with almost nothing, and so we put together these bags of clothes and blankets and shoes and we give them to them just because there is a desperate need for them. We're also putting together these bags of people in the hospital and the hook that <clears throat> you may not be aware this is a gringo, but uh, in the 
in the next five public hospitals. There's nobody to wait on the patients, so the family member has to provide that. Some families have to bring their whole family there because they have nobody else to provide for them. And they, they wait in the parking lot for days. And so we are providing these bags only. We're even going to try to give them something for the rainy season, keep them out of the rain when they get wet. And we do that because there's need. We have a closed closet upstairs. And we give that to adults and the children. And the clothes we have to raise up because we give out so many of the clothing for the children. I was thinking, with that closed closet, get closed people. We found some people right down the road. And the kids really had no clothing at all. We had to give something to them. We gave them shoes. Some, some of the things that we're getting were really good. And they're glad to be able to receive them. I was sick and you visited me. We're, we're a church, we actually have Lynn back there in Turnbull. She's our parish nurse. And among other things, she goes and she visits people, she takes people to the hospital. She's there with them when they're sick. Uh, she gives shots, blue shots every year. She does blood pressure here at the church. She does the favor sick to find out your glucose level. And we have a, a, an eye doctor that comes in and we provide eye glasses for those who cannot afford them. We do all kinds of ministry for those who are sick. And then I was in prison and you visited me. And you may know that we have, uh, we have a ministry for the men's and the women's prison. And we go there and we, we do services for them. And your God has blessed us to enable us to be doing these things and others. We have computer classes, we have ESL classes. We just started literacy classes for children that have never been to school, some of them 10, 11 years old, and they can't read and write. I'm glad that we're able to do all those things. But I'm sad that in the churches that I've asked to and have been around in the past, no other church has been this giving of themselves, of their, of their funds, uh, to be able to help those that are around them. I think that we're moving in the direction that Christ will have us move uh, because we are giving. And by the way, Bill and I, <coughs> we don't take a salary. And the reason for that, primarily, we don't really need it, but uh, and we don't earn it either. We, we, we've been paid what we work. We want all that money to be able to go to the ministers of the church not to us. God's blessed us in tremendous ways. And it is our job to reach out to other people the needs that they have. In the New Testament church, people around who were not Christians would see the Christians helping one another, treating one another like family, even when they didn't know another person. Automatically, when somebody became a believer, they became a brother and sister in Christ. And they said, see how they love one another. See how they love, they care for one another. Uh, that's the job that we do. We are to reach out and meet needs wherever they are. I was reading about uh, a man this last week. He got on the plane. He was a Christian. And he said, after he received, they brought in another fellow that had a wheelchair. And he was paralyzed, apparently, because he's done that now. And they managed to get him up, they put him, strapped him in the seat, and they uh, put the belt on him and everything. 
Then later on, they began bringing food around and put the tray in front of him. And he expected that you know, one of the stewardesses or a steward or somebody could begin to feed the guy, but he was just sitting there. And under deep conviction, he finally stood up and approached the guy and said, May I help you? And said, Please do, I can't feed myself. And so he started cutting up the food into bites. He said, After a while, the guy was sitting and the food exactly the time and he ready for the fight. And he said, because Christ had shown them the love of this guy, it became like a sacrament. God actually would be able to use him in that way. That's what we as believers are to do. We are to love our neighbors as ourselves. And I don't believe, you know, we have uh, all these church activities and outreach in the community, but there are a lot of other things that believers are doing here that are not even listed as church activities. We're still giving uh, uniforms to kids, we have ministries and orphanages. Our people are trying to be involved because Christ loves us and we are to love others in the same way. Then a final thing. Who are not only by loving our neighbors, not only by loving our neighbors as ourselves, who are loved by names and It says in John 14, 15, that by this you will know that you love me. That is, you keep my commandments. Now, if you're going to keep the commandments of Christ, you kind of need to know what they are, don't you? Now, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I was thinking about this this last week, and it came to me, what if there was a list of the Ten Commandments of Christ? Well, there is no such thing. There are a lot more commandments than that. But even so, that seems like an intriguing thing. What were the, most, the ten most important commandments? Well, we've already given his first two. Loving God and loving your neighbor. But I put together a little list of some others that I believe are important. And kind of categorize them because some of them are kind of together. And the first, which would be the third commandment in my book, is to trust God. Proverbs 3 4 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And Jesus stressed how important it is to learn to trust God. He said, Take no thought about tomorrow. Live for today. God can take care of your needs today. Tomorrow you don't know. But then he gave an illustration about how some people worry. And he said, uh, you don't have anything to worry about. He said, look at the little words of the end. Uh, they don't sow, they don't bring, they don't store anything in barns. And yet your heavenly father takes care of the little birds. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Because look at the flowers of the field, how beautiful the flowers are, more splendid than anything in Solomon's palace. God takes care of them, even though they're here today and they're gone tomorrow. He said, How much more is your Heavenly Father going to take care of you? Don't worry about it. And I, I think there are many Christians that are worried, and certainly we're not always taking one day at a time. We try to plan and scheme and come up with a plan for our lives. And God already has a plan for you. He says, 
Don't worry. Another problem that arises from the lack of trust is that, and you know, I, we, we all have different kinds of doubt in our lives. We, we sometimes doubt our salvation. We sometimes doubt that we have the ability to do what God called us to do. Sometimes we may even doubt God and doubt Jesus Christ and the resurrection. All kinds of doubt comes from a lack of trust. We're in good company because the apostles did exactly the same thing. Uh, there was Peter, you remember the story of him trying to walk the water? He was doing really well until the Bible says he saw the wind and he began to sink down and he had to cry out to Jesus to help him. And then there was Thomas. And Jesus appeared in the upper room and the disciples were praying. Uh, Thomas was not there at that time. He said, the other disciples said, okay, Jesus is alive. And he said, I don't believe it unless I can see the stars with my own eyes. I will not believe. Jesus appeared again. Thomas was there. And Jesus said almost exactly the same thing about doubt to Peter and to Thomas. He said, why do you doubt only believe? Only believe. And then uh, we're told to live humbly. Live humbly before God. He said, the greatest among you has to be the servant of all. You want to be great in God's eyes? Well, don't do anything spectacular. That's not what God wants. In fact, if you try to elevate yourself, you're taking away what belongs to the glory of God. And so Jesus said, when you go pray, don't pray in public like the Pharisees do. Pray in your closet so your prayers are directed to God, not to other people. He said, when you give, don't go to the street corners and show how much you've given. But instead, give privately so that your left hand doesn't even know what your right hand is doing. Everything that you do is to do that for When you fast, don't uh, paint your face up with all the wrong on your suffering and pain, but instead, fast privately with God. Clean yourself up. Because the fastest is directly God and not other people. It is impossible at one and the same time to glorify God and yourself. You can receive glory in this world, but you lose it all in the next. I'm going to be reading the uh, first here. And uh, it's, it's uh, Matthew chapter 23, beginning with verse 8. It says, The Jew are not to be called rabbi. Or you have one master and you all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father. For you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher. For you have one teacher, Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I've been called a lot of things over the years. Some of them not so flattering, but some of them were kind of flattering. At, at the first church where I was pastor, I was called Brother Wayne or Brother Cook. I kind of like that. 
I've been called on and more elevated names and titles through the years, but really, I can't think of any better term than to be called brother. Nothing that God has called me to do in any way should elevate me. God called me to be a preacher, but I ain't no different than anybody else. I'm just doing one job, and there are other people in this church that do greater jobs than I can ever do. We are devoted to other things of God. We're not doing them to receive the praise of men. We're doing them to receive the honor and praise of God. And then, uh, in the fifth of Jesus' commandments, that is to live in peace. And you know the way that you live in peace? Jesus was called the Prince of Peace. And he said, my peace I give you. We have to live lives of peace. But the only way that you can do that is to let God take care of the problems in your life. And not to try to take revenge on other people when they've done something wrong to you. Over the years, and you may not believe this, but I've actually had some people who didn't like me. I had a problem with me. Yeah, it's true. And you know, it's an interesting thing, though. Uh, these people, you know, personalities sometimes just conflict because that's the way that they are. But every time that has happened, in a very short time, God took care of it in some way. Maybe I was reconciled. Maybe uh, they moved, or I moved, or maybe they would take one more. Maybe he can you know, that happens But nevertheless, you know, we have to live in peace. And the Bible says if somebody slaps you on one cheek, you can turn the other as well. If somebody compels you to go one mile, go with you. If you have two coats, and another person has something to one of those. So you live at peace by depending upon God to handle the situations of life and not to take vengeance against other people. The anger that is in you never does the other person harm and only harms you. And then the final thing is final awareness of the other people. That's not part of it. You have somebody that has wronged you, or somebody that's borrowed money from you and promises, I'm going to pay it back. And I know quite a few of them, not quite a few of them, but you know, if somebody uh, uh, has harmed you in some way, we need to be able to forgive. And Jesus talked about that in the Lord's Prayer that we're going to be praying in just a few minutes. Somebody said that's the most dangerous prayer in the world to pray because we pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. What we're doing is we're praying, God, don't forgive me if I don't forgive anyone else. And then Jesus makes that even plainer right after. He says, if you don't forgive others, then neither shall you expect that your Heavenly Father is going to forgive you. You forgive. Because God forgives us. I was also reading this last week about a man, and he was a Christian. It was his custom to pray every day. And he would get down and he would kneel and he would begin to pray before God. He went into the military and he continued his practice. And there were some that ridiculed him. In fact, one night they would march all day and their boots were all dirty. And while he was praying, one guy threw a boot and hit him in the side of the head, and then threw another boot and hit him in the other side of the head. And he picked up the boots and he just set them in the side of his head. 
The next morning, the guy who thrown the boots woke up and found that his boots had been cleaned and polished. And he was so smitten by what had happened, he asked the Christian to forgive him. And later on, he became a Christian as well because of the testimony of the unbeliever. Give us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 